we are at a pivotal point where our young women are with social media, TikTok, or the media hypes, that they're all wonderful, but they're opportunities of distraction. And I say opportunities of distraction because you can still learn from those opportunities, but we really want to bring them back into an educational setting where they can actually get the information they need that's useful and practical and forward thinking. And that's where the blending the texture and coming in with textured hair care is so vital. Welcome to the Start Right Here podcast. I'm your host, Corinne Corbett. And on this show, we have enlightening conversations with BIPOC beauty pros who have carved out careers across the industry, from corporate and creative to STEM and entrepreneurship. Our guests share their career journeys, the lessons learned, and offer helpful tips that you can apply to your own lives, whether you want to break into the industry, pivot, or continue building a successful career of your own. Let's get started with this week's episode. Hi, everybody. Today, we're going to continue our series of discussions on textured hair and the importance of understanding where we are in history with it, what needs to happen in terms of recognition, legislation, and licensing, among other things. And I'm really pleased to welcome Diane C. Bailey, who is the CEO of Emerge and she is also the co-chair of the National Hairstyle and Braid Coalition, which we will be talking about if you're not familiar with it. And she has had an awesome history in this field. So we're going to learn her path. We're going to also learn why it matters now that we talk about textured hair. And we're going to talk about advocacy, legislation, and licensing. Things you probably don't even think about when it comes to textured and natural hair. So welcome, Diane. Thank you for having me. My pleasure. So we're going to start with a little bit about you. So where did you grow up and how did that shape your ideas about beauty? Well, I was born in the 50s. I was born in 1955. So I was born in the time before Malcolm X got assassinated, before King got assassinated. There was a pivotal point in our Black culture where Black pride began to fester and grow. And I grew up in that time. I grew up with Martin Luther King marching. I grew up with Malcolm X making speeches. And so that was a seed in me to say, we can be seen and we can be heard. And so as a child growing up in that environment, my mom, who allowed me to be very independent, sent me to an all-white school in the 60s. So... Once we realized we were not wanted in that area to go to a white school because integration had just started, we were the second class to be integrated, I became pretty much power to the people kind of sister, like one who was clear on who she was. I read books on Africa. My father was a thespian. So I saw Black people in their power. My father was an entrepreneur. He owned the cleaners. I saw him in his power. My mother studied to be a nurse. I saw her in her power. So that normalized power to me. And so when I finally graduated from high school and went to Hunter College, I was clear. I knew who I was as a Black woman, and there was no denying that. And it just made me 
so, I can't say defiant, but I want to say stronger in who I was as a Black woman. And that meant cutting my hair, having a little Afro, going natural, feeling confident. And so I love African raps. I wore my hair and they would call them turbans at the time. You remember those days, right? Yeah, I do. So my empowerment came from denial of others. But in my home, I said, mommy, I don't want to go to that school. My mother said, you're going to that school (laughs) and you're coming home every day. And what you do in between, it's up to you. So that kind of seed was in me. She put that in me and she allowed me to grow with that seed. And so that was my vision of myself as a young woman. So you had this vision of yourself. What was the path for you to start working in natural hair? Because I was allowed to express myself with my natural hair, when I finally did go into a more structured business setting while I was in college, of course, they weren't ready for braids. So I tried to cover it. I tried to wear wigs. I altered my hair. I took the braids out for the interview. I put them back in after I got the job. I just did all kinds of trickery. But it seemed like to no avail, people were not accepting of braids. You're talking about the late 70s, early 80s. So I said, this is nonsense. I dropped out of college. I went to cosmetology school. I learned nothing in cosmetology school about black hair, but how to relax and how to color. But I met sister, Cynthia Green, who's a dear friend of mine even today, who introduced hair extensions to me. And I was able to start playing around with them, working with them, and I started doing my own. And for me doing my own extensions, I was able to get the clientele and become a traveling stylist. I loved it until I got over 30 clients. And that's when I realized I can't travel to all these clients. They're going to have to come to me. So I got a bigger apartment and I became a stylist at home. And that's basically how I started my business, Tendril's Hair Spa. I started that in 1987. 1987? 1987, I was one of the first. Yeah, you are, for real. And then in 1990, instead of going comprehensive, I totally went natural where I started researching in herbs and different oils and told all my clients that if they wanted to continue to come to my salon, they would have to be natural. And so one of my clients says, oh, don't be ridiculous, Diane. You're not going to. Yes, I am. Because the fumes from the chemicals, I'm not smelling these fumes. I'm not doing this. You're not exposing me to the toxic fumes. So I think instinctively, I kind of felt a way and knew what would work for me. I wanted that to work for others. I knew for me, this is the path I wanted to take. And maybe there were other women professional women, women who were out in the world, who were doing their jobs, who were doctors, lawyers, practitioners, nurses, whatever, who had the same vision for themselves as I did. And if not, maybe I could offer that to them and it'd be something new, something different. And so it was. That's wild. I didn't even make that correlation. And then when you said it, I was like, wow, I remember tendrils. So do you consider this a destination or a detour? Interesting. A destination with detours. I'm open to detours as long as it always sends me back to my core. I don't have a problem with detours because in life you have to ebb and flow. So if I ebb and flow and it takes me a little bit off my center, 
then I can always try to find my core again. And that's, again, having association with people, creating community with people in the industry, evolving in classwork, teaching, mentorship is part of that. And of course, helping people find solutions for a healthier path when it comes to hair care. So one of the ways you did that was you wrote a textbook. Absolutely. So let's talk about that because I don't think everybody realizes that you were the first to write this textbook for textured hair. I was so honored to be on the advisory board for the licensing in 1993. I did that for two years, I believe. And through that, I was able to get a book deal with Milady Publishing. I wrote the first book and the second book came out in 2014. And both of those books gave a lot of information. And I'm working on another book now. This is the current book, Milady Natural Hair and Braiding. Right now it's on Amazon and it's doing very well because people are still very interested in the science. It's not just the art of hair. I am interested in talking about the science. One of my passions is to really elevate this conversation around natural hair and textured hair specifically because we're coming out of COVID. We had some really tough times and our hair took on some of that. The other day, I was walking down the street and I saw two women. Both of them had on wigs and a hat or a scarf. So already wearing a wig and then you have a hat and a scarf. So that's a lot, which means they're covering up something. I'm noticing now I'm walking in the street because in New York, you walk everywhere. And I'm starting to see my sisters in covers, covering up with wigs, with hats. And in those two cases, wig and hat. So... Currently now, I work in a dermatology office. I work with women who have hair loss. I would say 70% of African-American women and Latina women have some sort of hair loss. Some of it's scarring and some of it non-scarring, which means the non-scarring means it has an opportunity to grow back. Scarring means that's it. So my job there is to help women in their journey of recovery and better understanding their hair loss and the issues that they might have. And just to be a support, because it's very isolating. She wants to go to a salon or she wants to get her hair braided, but so intimidated, so afraid, so much damage been done. There's so many issues, socially, psychologically, spiritually. So my current space that I'm in right now, uh, Dr. Ose Tutu in Brooklyn, who's one of the leading dermatologists in the city, asked me to be a part of her team to help women in the hair loss recovery realm. So I'm very excited about that. That right there is just so powerful because, as you said, the percentages are high, but that there are germs who really recognize that that's innovation in action. She's like, I not only treat this, but I want to create a space where someone can get the consultation that can get their hair done, that you can get both. Yes, you can have both. And we're the first in New York State, and I'm sure there'll be many others. There's, uh, the first one in the country is in Maryland, and they've been doing it for at least six or seven years. And I've just been there two years. It's that cross-section between, again, science and care care. Yes, I love it. So I will find out who that one in Maryland is. I will put both the links to the practice you're working in and the one in Maryland, because people are going to be interested in this. Let's talk about the natural hair license what it is and how it came about. 
the current one is still effective, to allow women to braid, twist, cornrow, work with textured hair, afros, so that they have a platform to talk about. That's what the book does. The book gives them steps, gives them history, gives them the science as well as the art. When I talk about the science, we're actually talking about how the follicle is made, what the hair is made of. And so it gives people a background, not just how to put in a braid, but to really understand what the components of hair are. And it's really important for them to understand that and know that because it's connected to a human being. Very, very true. (laughs) And so with the license share, we want to bring humanity back to a service that for some people is not considered beautiful and we consider it highly beautiful. And so education is important. Sanitation in our salons needs to be talked about. There's protocol around that, especially since we've had COVID and we know that COVID is not really going anywhere. It's just going to manifest itself in different ways. So having that conversation around hygiene, physical hygiene, and sanitation with your tools. Just recently, I saw on Instagram, there was a page where a young lady was getting her hair braided. And right in the corner where she was sitting was a dead mouse. And she sat there for the duration and got her hair braided. Like, that's okay. So it's not okay. There has to be a standard of service that has to be perpetuated and honored in every salon. We deserve that. We owe it to ourselves, but we ourselves don't give it to us. So that's why we have to have a law that promotes healthy hair care, sanitation, and hygiene, scalp disorders and diseases, as well as the conversation of hair typing and textures, because textures is a vast subject that has been ignored from the very beginning of cosmetology. So we are introducing it to cosmetology and we're introducing it as part of the subject matter for the license for natural hair and braiding as well. So for the audience who didn't know this, when was the establishment that you worked on establishing the first natural hair license? Okay, so in 1992, we had an organization with Tulani Kennard and Esmeralda Simmons and we lobbied for license share and got it passed in 1993. So we've always had this license. Then it came up again. They wanted to reconfigure it so that the African sector could have privilege of getting license share without necessarily going to school. And so we don't necessarily want to deny anyone the opportunity to get licensing. Uh, We just want them to be educated and get some formal information. So that's what we're working on now, the formal information so that it goes throughout, whether you are Latina, whether you're African-American, whether you're African sister from whatever country, we want all of them to have the same opportunity so that they can service our community with equity. That's really important. Because as Diane DaCosta mentioned in the early interview, None of this is taught in cosmetology school. So even if someone has a cosmetology license, they're not going to know about textured hair. And so they're teaching themselves. So they think they know what they know because they've taught themselves. However, there's a textbook, (laughs) y'all. Yeah, there is science and there is a textbook. 
and we're still learning. We're still growing. I mean, it's never ending. I mean, there's a chapter in the book where we talk about herbs and we talk about botanical and we talk about oils and different butters so that people can understand what these butters do, what these herbs do, what these natural oils can do and what properties they have so that they can understand how they work. And yes, we know that certain butters work fantastically, but when you have the science behind it, that just helps you to understand it even better. And then when you do a consultation with a client, you're able to help her understand what her role is in keeping her hair healthy. So we're just trying to pass this on. But the state of New York has been kind of laxed on really pursuing it. So that's what we're here to do. That's our job. Keeping them abreast, giving them the current information, adding texture and hygiene and sanitation and hair disorders and scalp disorders into play, along with this long range of textures and hair cutting and all the things that go for our community. We are at a pivotal point where our young women are with social media TikTok, or the media hypes, that they're all wonderful, but they're opportunities of distraction. And I say opportunities of distraction because you can still learn from those opportunities, but we really want to bring them back into an educational setting where they can actually get the information they need that's useful and practical and forward thinking. And that's where the blending the texture and coming in with textured hair care is so vital. So- other professional fields, you have to do a certain amount of continuing and education courses. So I would think that one of the things after you get past this part, because this is the big part, the big hurdle, that that added layer of offering some continuing education so that people stay abreast of what's happening. You would assume that. However, this is a cultural bias in this country, not just New York State, that we have been fighting since we got here. When it doesn't apply to the main culture, then it doesn't seem important. It seems irrelevant. And so there are only about 14 to 16 states in the country that have some type of licensure that talks about braiding and textured hair. The rest of the country is null and void. They don't care. And so our job, uh, the Natural Hair and Braid Coalition, is to put a light on the information so people can make better choices so they can start to learn why it is important to have license. No, we're not trying to stop anybody from growing. As a matter of fact, it's just like when you get a license for your car. So if you want a regular consumer's license, you just get a regular license. Let's call it license A. But now maybe you really want to drive a big truck. You need a different license for that. Motorcycles, It's another type of automobile. It'll still get you where you want to go, but you need a license for that. So these are all kind of things. And I'm not saying that without having a license, people's lives will be jeopardized. But I am saying that we have exposed ourselves to so much misinformation and miseducation without licensing so that now we have 70% of our women of color have hair loss, and no one knows what to do about it because there's not a skill set to address it. So that's what's important, to get education in the hands of the community. And it's also important to educate the consumer so she is aware 
of what services she's entitled to get because she doesn't know either. So our job, the coalition's purpose is to build a community that supports and strengthens black textured hair, period. If you like what you hear, please subscribe to the Start Right Here podcast and leave a review. Also, you can sign up for our mailing list at theberoundtable.com so you will be on the know about all the good things coming. It's simple, but it's hard at the same time. So it's a singular goal with multi-levels to it because of all the things and all the hurdles, but it's also a challenge because it's vast because our hair is vast. It's global. And understanding of what we're entitled to is limited depending on what our exposure to this information is. So this information is not just for professionals, it's also for the consumer so that she is better educated about, I'm going to get this new style. Who am I going to? I could look on Instagram or TikTok for inspiration, but I might need to ask a few questions before I make an appointment. And this is the thing. There's so many grassroots sisters and brothers out there working from home who have great skill set in styling, but do not have the education of the science of hair care, who don't understand texture. And Diane DeCosta always talks about it. Hair texture is not a number. It's infinite. And the combinations of hair typing and textures are infinite. And so we want people to really embrace the infiniteness of it and be aware that education is a part of it. Like, how do I cut textured hair and bring it back to life? A lot of people, what they're doing now, they're still straightening it. They're still pressing it straight so that they can cut textured hair. That doesn't make sense unless she's wearing her hair straight. If she's not wearing her hair straight, you have to cut it in the texture she's going to wear it. I don't know if most people don't know, but that is rarely done. I will just say that. It's done in the right circles. In the right circles, but it's really shown. The people who are showing cuts are not showing that. They're showing it in a way where they're changing it back and forth. And now they have beautiful cuts where people have textured hair and they're cutting it. But I don't have that wave pattern, that curl pattern. My hair is straight out of Africa. So I have to elongate my hair a little bit in order so I can see the shape and so that I can mold it to my face. And so those are the tricks. Those are the things. That's the science of the art of textured hair. So one of the things Diane DaCosta said that was really intriguing to me is that the state licensing exam still does not have textured hair on it. No, it does not. Because it doesn't teach it. Because they don't teach it, they don't do it. So it makes it even harder. Do we try to change that? Yes. So that's one of the things that's on your list. That's the first thing on the list. In the next book that I write, with the help of the coalition, we're talking more about hair textures. There's textures in the book, but it's not broken down even further. We can break it down even further. And so I wrote that book in 2014. It is 2000 what? 23. 
almost 10 years ago. So it's time for an upgrade. It's time for people to really embrace hair typing and textures as a science and really get into it so that they can fulfill it as an art form as well. I mean, I've taken many classes and am able to transfer cutting straight hair and showing how that manifests when you cut textured hair. But it's a practice and you have to do it and do it and love it and love it. And Diane DeCosta is one of the best cutters I know. I love hair cutting. And in our culture, people are afraid to get their hair cut. Oh, absolutely. That's trauma to them. What? You're going to cut my hair? And so because in our society, long hair is the principal sign of beauty. The first sign of beauty that she had long curly hair or whatever. And so cutting hair was never a requirement unless you were a barber. And so now we're saying you can have textured hair and have a great cut and it grow and it be healthy. And we just change the dynamics of how we think about textured hair and give it to the universe and let it. When did you guys start the coalition? We started the coalition late 2001. We started talking about it. When the spring of 22 came, we were well engaged in going to upstate in Albany to legislators to tell them who we were and what we wanted from the license. And so we made an impact. We made an impact and they heard us. And so we kind of put a kibosh on what they were trying to do and put a stop and slow things down so they can hear what we had to offer them. And so now we've been going back and forth and Diane leads that path and helps us to open those doors. And as advocates, we learned some things. We went to advocacy school. We learned how to advocate and we had to learn some new skills. So we're still growing. Right now, we're in the process of becoming a non-for-profit and we are also opening our doors up to new membership. We're going to be celebrating 30 years of the license, the natural hair license in New York State in October. And we are looking forward to that. So even though we're just starting, we have so much more to do. And we've done a lot. This is one of those jobs where it's never over. But what's interesting is you're saying we're just starting. But although the coalition wasn't there, the groundwork for the coalition has been going on for 30 years. So for the groundwork, starting with the licensure. And what people don't understand maybe is that was the first license in the country. That's right. New York State. So we're talking about New York State as a model for how natural hair should be treated around the country and then maybe around the world. Exactly. We were the first state, but there are a lot of people that feel when we got the license that it was intrusive and they didn't feel it was necessary because this is what we do in Africa. And so we have tribal traditions around braiding, and I totally respect that. I was braiding and never been to Africa. Africa's in me. Africa's in you. That's our DNA. So I could see something and recognize it and then duplicate it because it's in us, right? So that's what we had to change. We had to change this perspective of, oh, you don't need a licensure. This is what we do. This is our tradition. This is our cultural right. This is our cultural aesthetics. Absolutely. All of the above. However, it is a business. It is a science. And it is an art form. And all of those things have to be addressed. 
And I'm not going to blame anyone, but the hair loss that we're experiencing is coming from somewhere. So if it's from a lack of knowledge, then why don't we get the knowledge? And younger and younger women are experiencing this. This was something we used to see when we were young. We used to see that with people our grandmother's ages. That's when we saw it. We didn't see it. Yeah. I saw alopecia with my grandmother. She was an older woman. So we assume that your hair is going to get thinner. However, if you're 20 and you have hair loss and it's scarring hair loss, which means it's not coming back, if you ignore it, it will get only worse. If you catch it early, you might be able to save some of your hair. And it's so sad because it is very expensive to go and make an investment in yourself in that way. The science of dermatology is amazing, but it is very expensive. And if your insurance doesn't cover it. Well, this is the reason that dermatology is one of the hardest. I did a show on this. I talked to Dr. Cheryl Burgess a couple of years ago, and we talked about that there are not as many black and brown dermatologists because dermatology is one of the most competitive specialties because they don't accept insurance. There are a lot more Black women, well, Black people and brown people who are in it now, but not to the level of the need that we have. And so, I mean, there are certain things that are life-threatening, but if it's anything aesthetic-related, hair and cosmetic dermatology, all those things you're paying out of pocket. But I know that there have been some great strides because there are more Black dermatologists looking at our hair loss, looking at why are we getting CCA versus other kinds of alopecia? And then Ayanna Presley being in Congress and having... She has alopecia totalis. Mm-hmm. And her coming out and revealing that the way that she did. It was beautiful and powerful. And impactful. I mean, to think that a person can just reveal in that way just blew me away and It was amazing. So you're going to see a lot more women coming out because of her in New York. Now we're seeing bald women all the time. I myself have three types of alopecia. I have fibritis where the hairline goes back. I have central CCCA. I also have traction alopecia on both sides. Many of us have one or two types of alopecia without even knowing it. We have normalized alopecia to the point where we have ignored it. But there are levels to alopecia. There is non-scarring, which means it'll grow back. And all your hair fell out, but it grew back. So you assume that it's going to grow back. But two, three years later, it hasn't. The important thing about alopecia is to catch it early. And I know that they're doing like jack inhibitors and all these other kind of things that they're doing with treatment, which is kind of exciting for the types of alopecia that it works on. Because when we talk about there are things that can be addressed and things that can't be addressed, but it's also about understanding that your scalp needs care. And this is the thing about licensure. Once we start talking about it, normalizing the conversation around hair loss so that it's not a secret, that we're not whispering underneath a cloak of darkness, then once we normalize it, and bring it to full attention, I mean like a national campaign kind of vibe, really take it out there so that people can come out of the closet and say, 
Me too. I have been suffering and I am tired of suffering alone. And there are alopecia groups out there already willing and able to open it up. But for Black women, I think it's even more shame. So there are groups on Facebook page that they can join. There are groups on the internet that they can join. And they can reach out to the coalition so that we can support them in whatever they might need. And so that, because again, we all won. We all are suffering from something. So you're doing the dermatology book. You're working in the dermatology practice. You're working on the coalition. Another book is in the offing. Is there anything else that you're working on? There's so many things I would love to do. Eventually, I will be retiring from working behind the chair. Another 18 months, I'll be 70. And so by that time, I will have more clarity on what my next life will be. But we'll always be around education. There'll always be community outreach. One of the things I do want to do is create a platform for beauty retail. So some type of online, offline beauty experience, maybe. I want to support those people who want to open a school for education. I want to support them in that. And basically keep the industry open for growth and pass the baton over to the next generation of men and women who are passionate about our community, the safety and the sanctity of our culture and our hair. So mentorship and connection with multi-generational experts or textured hair enthusiasts. If they're not pros, they could be enthusiasts who could be on the advocacy side, but it's a matter of connecting. I know a lot of the work that the coalition is doing currently is in New York State, but are you guys connected with people in other states who are doing similar work? Absolutely. We are opening our doors to membership and supporting them in lobbying for licensure in their state if they don't already have one. If they do have one, we are there to support them because each state has its own jurisdiction. So each state has to be addressed. And so, yes, we're starting slowly to build those outreach events, but it's an ongoing process. Finding people who are willing to really step out because this is another job. This is not something you do on the weekends. This is something that you become and it can take over a lot of time. It's politics. And in the next episode, we're going to talk about the Crown Act, but it's separate and apart from the Crown Act. It's about the actual profession and skill set related to texture hair. And the Crown Act does fortify us because it talks to the community saying this is what racial discrimination looks like based on hair type. That language wasn't there before. And so now it is. And so people are now sensitive to that language where the Crown Act has given us a boost so that people understand what we're saying is this not from nowhere. The fact that we've seen what discrimination looks like several times, the young boy from New Jersey where his hair got cut, the sister who had an interview when she got the job, when she saw her, she had locks, they were like, no, the job's not available. All kinds of insanity. So from that perspective, from a political perspective and a social impact it has on us so much so that it has a psychological impact as well. 
Absolutely. This is abusive. So in addition to licensure, there are some people who have opened natural hair schools. Have you connected with any of them? Absolutely. Currently now, I volunteer teaching to Magic Fingers. They're in Jamaica, New York. And Stasha, that is her school. It's amazing. You can go online and look up Magic Fingers Institute. They have their fourth graduation class coming up on the 11th, which is next week. And I'm very proud of her. She did something amazing. People always want to say, why don't you open a school? It's very, very challenging and very expensive. And they make it that way. It's by design. But for those who have the tenacity, the willpower, the dream, the vision, the coalition is there to support. Simple as that. I would say maybe it's 2019. 2019. It must be 2019. I did a global hair guide for Essence. And that was when Julie Wilson was there of stylist salon. And it was every type of hair. But I found a couple of people that had hair schools that natural hair salons and schools, which I thought were looking at innovation and not in places that we're expecting. It wasn't Atlanta. It wasn't D.C., Baltimore, Philly. It wasn't anything like that. It wasn't Houston. It was Kansas or something like that. One was in Sacramento. So I like the idea that there is a through line for everyone to connect so that the work can go forward everywhere at the same time. Everywhere at the same time, because it's already out there. And so all we're trying to do now is reflect the science with the art, put the science and the art together so that our industry flourishes and so that our community benefits from it. Like textured hair is not going anywhere. This is who we are. This is it. And so it's a shame that it's taken this long, but we're getting there. And it's one step at a time. If you have not listened to my interview with Diane DaCosta, and if you listen to the beginning of this, you will know how long we've been talking about textured hair and how many waves it has peaked in. It's never gone away, but it has ebbed and flowed at different times. You'll become aware of that in a different way. And then maybe when you're looking at old pictures in your family album, understand why you're seeing natural hair at different points in different ways. Exactly. It's part of our history and it's not going anywhere. And a part of our present and part of our future. Absolutely. So Diane, thank you so, so much. How can people get in touch with you? What social handles? How can people follow you? Currently, for those people who are interested in consultations, if they feel like they have alopecia, Instagram page is Hair Primal with Diane Bailey. So if they can get a consultation that way. I'm also with Emerge.nbia. That's another platform that I have. And of course, the coalition, the lowercase NHBC. So we're going to put these in the show notes and also have them on screen for the video version so that people will be able to connect on all of those platforms. Again, thank you so much. This is really going to be a fabulous series because it brings back good memories because when you're from New York, if you're aware of all the great work that both Diane DaCosta and Diane Bailey have done, it brings back really, really good memories. It's a great journey and I'm glad to be able to continue it. That's our show for today. 
follow Start Right Here on Instagram at start underscore right underscore here underscore podcast. And check out the Last Word newsletter for my latest musings on beauty and inclusion.